Hello and welcome back to Spiritually Searching with Jason Palmer. I'm going to go ahead and warn you guys, I am a father of seven, so if you hear some kid noise in the background, I apologize for that now, but you can only put so much duct tape on them and keep them stuck to the wall for so long before they start making noise. So, I just wanted to step in and kind of continue to tell my story a little bit about what growing up in church meant to me and how that affected me growing up. As a little kid, my first real memories of going to church were when we had moved to Tennessee. My grandpa had cancer, it was my mom's dad, and we moved down there to help take care of him until he passed. And so that's really some of the first memories I have of going to church, and that was a different group of people down there. And I think that honestly the difference in what I experienced as as a young kid in that particular environment and what I experienced when we grew up and moved back to the area close to where I live in now, um, that was two totally different experiences, and it had a lot to do with the people who were there. The, the group was different. They had the same theology, but it was really a different dogma, a different way to look at things that, that the church saw as important, I guess you would say. And so when we moved back to Missouri, I know that there was a new preacher. I don't remember who the old preacher was. I think his name was James something or other or something James. I don't remember. If I was to search hard enough, I think I have a copy of my my, my dad's old Bible. And I think his name was written in there somewhere with a as a signature on a note that he left to my dad. But I had to really dig to find that. I mean, I lost my dad about six years ago, six and a half years ago, and this stuff is all in storage somewhere, so I would have to search. But when we moved back, there was a new preacher, and he was the same guy who was a preacher at that church for the entirety of my time there. So I would have been about seven or eight years old, probably probably closer to eight years old, um, going into the third grade, which I know is a little bit young, but I started school a little bit early as a kid. And so from about the eight years old to uh, to almost 18 because I stopped going to that church when I graduated high school. And then, you know, I started early, so I graduated early. I was 17 when I graduated. So about nine years under that particular preacher. And, you know, the the dogma that we learned, the, some, of, some of those those real fundamental points were that we were set apart from others. And, you know, stories like it was easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to heaven. And wide is the gate to destruction, and narrow is the is the way, and few are there few are those who find it. These are some things that you can find you can find in scriptures in the Bible in a lot of places, but it really depends on how you teach that as to what it really means. We were taught that we were kind of the exclusive few, if you will. We had the truth. The rest of y'all didn't have it, sorry. We were the ones with the truth and nobody else had it. So it made it really difficult for us to see what what truth was when we were looking at it through the lens of being the ones who understood what the secret truth was. And I don't mean that in a way that it was a secret truth that no other human had. It's just that most people didn't have it because they didn't want it. At least that's the way that we looked at it. That apart, that part of being the exclusive view um, really changed a lot of things in the way I viewed church growing up. And church was kind of the definition for spirituality for me at that age. That was what I thought it was, and I didn't have any other lens to view it through. And as I got older, the, the divide kind of widened between the us and the them. And again, 
I don't want to put any words in other people's mouths. I'm not even here to name names and call them out and say they were crazy. But I do know that this is what I picked up, what I heard as a kid. Because as we all know, what you say only matters when you compare it against what somebody heard you say. And the receiver gets to assign the meaning. And that's what I did as a kid. And so as that divide widened in the in the regular world, the rest of the world, I guess, and us, the ones who are set aside, the the few who were going who found the way, I just stuck with it because it was either that or eternal damnation. That was really the two choices that we had to deal with. We were either going to be right like all the people around us in that little church, or you were going to go to hell forever. And that sounded like a pretty bad thing, even as a young kid and up through and into my high school years. There were a lot of rules. You know, one of the things I've heard, and I'm no expert on Jewish theology, but I know that if you look through the Old Testament and you read it, there was Ten Commandments. But if I understand it correctly, the rabbis managed to turn that into something a little over 600 different rules that they pulled out of those Ten Commandments. We kind of did the same thing. Our group of people saw those those rules as, oh, well, it says not to look on a look on a glass of wine as it sparkles in the glass because it stings like a viper and bites like an adder or stings like a, I don't know, whatever that particular verse is. And that one was turned to basically, if you take a sip of alcohol, you're going to burn in hell. And the theology that they taught involved a lot of, it was not... A lot of what it involved was that your eternal salvation was not secured. And that's a challenge because as much as they want to say this is not a works theology, you can't gain it through activity, but you can lose it through who you are or the mistakes you make. And I don't know that I still want to sit in that theology and just agree with it because I've learned too much to know that that's... That will turn anybody into a anxiety-riddled maniac and lead you to wanting to walk away. Because anything you do could throw you into hell, so eventually you know that you're going to mess up. And if Jesus comes back two seconds after you did something wrong, you're going to hell because you have not followed all the tenets of what salvation requires according to that group. And as a, as a great example, I think what I saw as a young man was at the age of about 13 years old, they began, and well, first I guess I should say, there was a group of us that were all about the same age, us kids. And so as we, I was about 13, we were all hitting those teenage years. And I assumed that somebody decided we really need to have a conversation about the birds and the bees. So we don't talk about the birds and the bees. We talk about lust. And lust is a sin. Lust is that sin that could send you to hell. If you look at your neighbor's wife and lust after, it's the same as having committed adultery with her. And so they, they extrapolated that out for us as young kids. And what I heard was, if you look at a girl with lust in your eye, you're going to hell. And quite frankly, at 13, that happens so much, so regularly, because of biological reasons, that there's no way you're going to make that not happen or that you can control the moments and that's going to happen. And 
God's going to come back in one of those moments and I'm going straight to hell. And that was tough. That was tough for a 13-year-old kid to look at and, and see that and grasp that and believe that to be true and know how impossible of a goal that is and also know that your eternal salvation or damnation rests on that. That was a real difficult thing for me to, to get my mind around and accept. That was probably one of the first places I had a lot of questions and nobody had a good answer other than to fill your mind with the things of God. And at 13, you're filling your mind with things of um, visions of girls usually, and that's not a choice that you make. That's a biological normality. And where, yes, it, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that teenage boys should be handed a, a computer with a big screen and, and a whole full book of porn to, to go search through. At the same time, when you tell a kid that his natural his natural reaction to the opposite sex is going to be his damnation, that's going to cause some problems. It's going to make it difficult for them to, to stay with that. Another thing that they talked about a lot is the necessity of baptism for salvation. Now, this is one that a lot of people disagree on, whether or not you're Baptist or Catholic or some other um, some other denomination. They all seem to have some different ideas around it, some different rules, some different um, ideas about whether or not baptism is actually regenerational. Does that create the salvation? Can you be saved without baptism? And I think that's a long question that needs to be hashed out. And we'll probably get back to that, I'm certain. You know, they, they taught the five-finger salvation idea. You had to hear, believe, confess, repent, and be baptized. Now, I have some questions. What about the people who never heard? Because you know there are people who never heard the, the story of the Bible as this particular church put it. Because they, they, they told that story with a different viewpoint, I guess you would say. And so if you didn't believe, well, you can't believe if you didn't hear. And what if you did hear and you didn't necessarily believe it because it was taught to you in a way that, that really didn't work out? We had one young man who came to our church once. He was a friend of one of the kids who was a couple years older than I was. I think actually a romantic interest if I had to guess, but I don't really know. And I know that when he showed up that particular day, the the uh, this particular evangelist was giving a whole lesson on Basically, why Catholics are wrong, I think that would be the, the crux of what he had to say, to the point of making some of some of the points of what he called truth and laughing about them and yada yada. It was really quite a disrespectful way of talking about other people, especially from the pulpit. Come to find out that young man had been raised in the Catholic faith, and he never came back once. I don't blame him for not believing what he heard that day. I just don't. He was probably 16, 17, 18 years old, if I remember the age range right. There's no reason why he would believe and then push on to the confess or, or be baptized in that church. I mean, these guys just stood up and made fun of your faith because they're the ones who know the truth and, and your people didn't, so we're going to make fun of you from the pulpit. I wouldn't want to be baptized into a religion like that. And... Then, then, you know, repent. Well, turn away from what? Because if if you're of the Catholic faith, you probably have some of the same viewpoints, most of the same viewpoints, besides some, some more 
basic theology ideas. I, I know that there's there's bigger differences than that, and I won't dive off into all that because I'm not terribly well-versed in Catholicism. I wasn't raised in that. But the whole idea that they had just was not aligned in my mind with the works theology that they tended to preach, even though they they preached against the works theology. They said, it's not it's works is not what's going to save you. But apparently, works may not save you, but they will definitely damn you. And that, that was a challenge. And if I had questions about that, I was told basically, look, this is the way it is. This is how it works. This is, this is what we have taught you about. You know how this works. Basically sit down and shut up and believe what we had to say. That didn't sit well with me. Because as a young man, as a teenager, I had lots of questions. And I expected to have the respect of at least being answered in a respectful way. Come to think of it now, I don't know why I expected that out of out of the people who who treated other people that you know that way, like that young man in the in the church service, you know, because they definitely were not respectful to him. So, I, I in those teen years, you know, in middle school, you know, junior high, depending on where you're at, but what sixth, seventh, eighth grade that that age range, yeah, I was really unsure of myself as a kid. And I was leaning on a lot of others' opinions because I didn't know how to really fill out my own opinions yet. Honestly, I didn't feel like I could because I had been told so much that you know what we say is true and you should follow what God says. And so their opinion of what they thought God's opinion was got in the way a lot. And I really just began to feel the pull to explore other thoughts and try and figure out if this stuff made sense to me. That age, man, like I said before, the lust problem was huge. And the shame that came out of that became overwhelming. And it it turned into seeing God as this like this unfair tempter. You know, he was he was just preying on on what I needed to to um to feel alive, I guess, if you would, as a kid, because it's this whole new experience that you're going through, and it's this huge temptation, and you're failing at it, so you're feeling tons of shame. You feel really just alone in the world because the rest of the world doesn't like you. They're, they're, not, they're not set apart and, and sanctified and all that in the way that, that we were. And I don't know if anybody else has experienced that, that feeling inside of their own religious upbringing, but not only did I feel alone in the world because we were different, but I was felt alone in the church as well, because you assume, and we've learned a lot about this through social media, but you assume that what you see of other people is their real life, and social media is really not at all a real life. It's it's just the the highlight reel of somebody's life, and that's what this looks like, even in a church. You, you go to a Sunday service, and I promise you, you're going to see a whole different person in 99.9% of the people in that church than you will see on Friday or Saturday evening. It's a different person typically. It's just a natural thing in, in our world, and very few people are the same person all the time. They show up and bring their A-game on Sunday morning. So now I feel alone in the church. And that's where I really began living kind of a a bit of a split life, where when I was around the church people, I was one way. And when I was around other people, I really didn't know who I was because I couldn't be that same person there. You know, my my friends thought I was the, the good kid, right? The, the good kid who didn't cuss, who didn't, you know, do all that the stuff that, that typical middle school age kids go into. And 
then when I go to church, which is what made everybody think I was so good, going to church really just spread shame. And that's when my moral compass really started to get fuzzy. North didn't have a true north. It kind of spun a little bit, and I was never certain of where I was going. So that, that was really my middle school years in church. And then went off to high school, and I found that I was a lot more sure of my own beliefs, and they definitely did not align with the dogma that was taught at that church that I, that I was in. And so I began to allow some of my questions to develop and mature in my own mind. And some of those questions were not answerable according to the way that I had been raised. And I had had to really start to identify some other ideas outside of what I had been taught. That turned into a problem. Because unless you've uh, ever, never been in a cult before, you might not know this, but you're not allowed to think for yourself in that mind frame. You're not supposed to be a, a self-starter or a, somebody with real questions and thought inside of a cultish type uh, upbringing. But one of the problems I still I dealt with, again, high school, teenage boys, lust was much more, much more intense at that age. You know, that you would, the, the, the pull was stronger, but it was definitely less frequent as they get into high school and you start to build relationships and you learn to manage that to some level. But because it was more intense, the shame was intensified because I should know better than to have those thoughts, to feel that way, to look at, at girls that way. And suddenly, I began to see God as an unlikely phenomenon because he had put me in this lose-lose situation. I could either lose my lose out on everything in life or lose out on everything after life. And chances are, it was looking like I was doing both at the same time. And I still felt alone. I didn't have the people of the world around me very much because we stayed away from those people because they weren't as holy as us, if you will. I don't, that's probably the wrong terminology, but that's what I'm just going to say. And it led to a lot of depression. And again, that's one of those things. I grew up back in the late 90s. I was in high school, uh, the mid-90s, I guess, early early to mid-90s, I was in high school. And man, depression was mental illness. And mental illness meant you were crazy. And so you weren't allowed to talk about being depressed at all because they didn't want to hear that. And they weren't going to do anything positive for it. And so in my in my aloneness, I really began felt began to feel depression at a pretty strong level. And that's when I finally stopped pretending to have a spiritual connection that I did not feel like I had. That's about the time that I decided that it was time to step away. And I left that church after I graduated high school. And I stopped going. And I more or less, I don't know if I can even say I lost my faith. Because I don't know if I ever truly had a real faith at that age. When I was younger, I thought I believed, I guess. But what I had to let go of was a connection to a bunch of people that seemed like it was very, very important to me. But but as much as it seemed important as I got older and started looking around and questioning things, I suddenly realized that nobody there had the answers I was looking for and nobody was interested in giving them to me. They just wanted me to sit down, shut up, and follow along. And that, that is not a connection with God. That is being a servant to man. And I couldn't have that. It was time to do something different. So like any good young man, we just went out and joined the military and got away from home. And and that's where my first roommate, after I'd gotten out of basic training, my very first roommate was a hardcore atheist. 
and he had a lot of questions to throw at me. And I had some questions for him, and turns out neither one of us could answer the other one's questions. And so I went on and led the next next decade and a half doing all the stuff that I wasn't supposed to do because the experience I had showed me that God was probably not real. And that was a challenging time. I did a lot of things in that time frame that, that I wish I hadn't now, but it's part of my story. It's part of my experience. And it's led me to the point I'm at today. And I'm not going to say that I have it all figured out today because I sure don't. But I've found a path. I found a path. I'm on uh, the journey to finding something. And I hope you guys continue to come along with me. So in the meantime, you guys go out there, have a wonderful week, enjoy your time, and keep searching for some truth.